you give faithfully to each one of us. I hear so many stories of people who've been called by name that didn't realize it, didn't hear it until the right circumstances. And so this morning we pray this will be the right circumstance for each one of our hearts, that we, we will hear your voice, that we will hear the words of Jesus as the Holy Spirit brings them to our minds, and as we open them up here right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a sermon entitled, The Shepherd's Last Call. So bear with me, we're going to get to that last call, but before we get there, I just want to set the stage for it. I know years ago when people that I was uh, involved with as far as church work, I remember there was a prayer that sometimes would be set up on the platform. It it wasn't inviting God's presence, it was more like this, Lord, as we're kneeling down here today, help us, before you come, be people that are safe to save. Now, I think I know the meaning of that prayer, and I, and I understand the heart of that prayer, but the, the person that typically offered that prayer, well-meaning as they were, had a real fearful understanding of God. And so they didn't feel like they were worthy, and they didn't feel like maybe people in the congregation were worthy, and they were praying this prayer every time they got up there because they were, quite frankly, afraid of the return of Jesus. They were hoping that by the time he did come back, they would be safe to save. But my question to you is this. When has humanity since the fall been safe to save? I mean, I understand the idea in Second Peter, this idea of, in, in First Peter, of being godly people who hasten the return of the Lord. I understand that, but as I read my Bible and as I look at just common everyday experiences, for instance, this weekend we're celebrating our Memorial Day of our soldiers who've given their lives. But can you imagine a soldier who is in a combat situation who pauses to help a comrade by thinking, is he really safe to save in this situation? They don't even think about it. They are there. They do their duty. They give their lives for their comrades without even thinking about whether or not they, and even if they don't like that person, they're still going to risk their lives for that person. And so if human beings will treat one another that way, then I begin to wonder about our picture of God if we are curious or fearful, wondering if he will ever save us at the end. Because fear is really not something to have when we see Jesus come face to face. We sing that beautiful song about this Jerusalem city, this beautiful place of golden sheen, this place where Jesus gathers his people. Frankly, if we are not gathered there by the time he comes, we're not going to go with him. So we need to hear his voice now. And if his voice brings fear to us at the end, then we're in the same condition as Adam and Eve at the fall. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that condition when Jesus comes back. So there has to be something that takes place in each one of our individual lives, in our church's life, in our ministries. Overall, I think most of the time we have this focus, but we need to keep reminding ourselves that Jesus is our focus. Genesis 3 verse 7 says that they were so fearful they clothed themselves in fig leaves They heard the voice of Jehovah walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We're told that they had this habit of coming and meeting with the Lord, conversing with the Lord, conversing with angels. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Jehovah, from the very presence of the Lord that they longed before this experience to be in the presence of. And they hid themselves amongst the trees of the garden. And Jehovah calls out to them, says to him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. We would all agree humanity has fallen. We would all agree that at that point, humanity is lost if God doesn't intervene and do something. 
So if, like I've said before, if I am in that state of mind when Jesus comes, then something has not been believed in my heart or trusted in my heart so that I could go back into that very place that they were expelled from. Because that's the place we're going back into. He's calling us to follow him all the way back into the restored Garden of Eden. And so as I look through the Old Testament and through the whole Bible, I believe every story and every encounter is God trying to speak to his people in various ways through patriarchs and prophets, but overall he's trying to remove fear. He will even speak to a pagan king through a dream to try to let him know, I'm king of the universe, I'm sovereign. He wants to restore the relationship that was lost there. He wants to bring us back into the fold because as you look at Genesis 3, 23, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he begins to expel man, and it says he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Loaded text. Think about it for a moment. You find the Lord God driving the man out. You get language later on that has to do with flock language. And here they are, they've, they've been his people, and now they've sinned against him, and he literally has to expel them from that area. It can be used to denote divorce, or it can be used, as far as driving somebody out, to denote basically you are putting them in a situation away from yourself, away from something that is not good for them. And you say, well, how would the tree of life not be good for them? Well, at that point, if they were to eat, what would happen? It would prolong the whole sin problem, wouldn't it? And so he drives the man out, and he, who is this? This is who we would later know as the one who you know, forms Adam and Eve, who's there with him in the wilderness later on. It's Jesus, right? So Jesus places these cherubim. And who dwells between the cherubim? So why, imagine Jesus walk, expelling them out, placing these, these angels there, and imagine the sadness in his heart as they go away. Imagine the longing that he wants to call them back. He, he would love to just say, no, come on back. But he knows there's a sin problem between them and that, that would never happen unless an atonement was made. They even have the elements of atonement on them with the, those clo the clothing made out of animal skins. But he places the flaming sword there and keeps them away from the tree of life until the time is right. I believe the time is right. I believe he's calling a people at the end of time to not just know Jesus, but to follow him all the way back into this very place that we were expelled from. And so he drove them out. How would they ever get back into the fold? Well, we find down through Scripture lots of echoes of this story, but at the cross especially, the Father's call goes out, echoes out and says, it, there is a way back. Here is the way. His name is Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man goes to the, comes to the Father except by me. And so we find the provision that's made at the cross brings us back. I'm not talking the moral influence theory where it's just, oh, I feel good about the cross, therefore God loves me type feeling. You know, a, that's true. We, we do see the magnitude of God's love there, but we also recognize a provision has been made. A way has been made back. Something has been paid for at the cross, and it's all the guilt, all the shame, all the fear, everything that's attached to our sin has been been placed upon Jesus. Imagine then what he went through at the cross, bearing all of that. Imagine never being separated from the Father, and now all of a sudden you're feeling that whole weight upon you. Imagine it almost seems like a veil of darkness between you, and yet here's the Father covering his Son in darkness and covering his shame. And so that's the provision that was made at the cross. And Jesus tells us then, 
before he gets to the cross, he places a bunch of seeds along the way, seeds of truth, and here's one of them. He says to his disciples, Verily, verily, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. <clears throat> I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. That very opening song we sang about having this beautiful pasture is all possible through Jesus. And notice the two I am statements. I am the door. I am, he's got a whole bunch of I am statements in this chapter, but these two especially. I am the door. I am the point of entry. I am the way. But there's more to it than just that. Because here's one picture of, this one's in Scotland, but you can find similar rock sheep pens, if you will, or folds, where they would take them and put them in for the night. And where's the gate? Where's the door? In every picture I've seen of this, as far as the ancient methods, some of them eventually put some lumber and stuff and make a door. But, but as you look through the ways that they had these types of sheep pens and, and the doorway, there was nothing there except for the shepherd. The sheep are all gathered in there, and the shepherd, and if he's got those animals, any kind of livestock animals within the guard, they're with him, and they're right there at that gate, that doorway. So what does the thief, the robber, and the wolf have to do to get to the sheep? Has to go through the shepherd. Now, if, if you were that type of shepherd, if you were a shepherd, and you were facing ferocious wolves, which we do know, even on the prairies of, of North America at one point, there were, there were prairie wolves. In fact, some of them were quite big. So you can imagine wolves and lions, bears that David had to, had to fight off, and you know that they're going after what is behind you. What would be, have to take place for you to face them off? Bravery. No, you're, not, you're, you're basically willing to sacrifice yourself for your sheep. So it's no accident that he uses that language, that they would be able to look out there and see the shepherd there placing himself basically to guard his sheep. He was saying, I am the same way. I am willing to give my life for you. A thief comes by. Maybe the shepherd's asleep, tries to get a sheep to come over near him. He says the sheep won't hear that voice. The, can you imagine a sheep leaving the sheep pen saying, I'm not going to come back in the cover of darkness and, come and be underneath your care in the evening. I'm going to go do my own thing. It just is not natural. Now, a sheep may wander, and guess what that shepherd's going to do? He's going to seek that sheep, bring it back into the fold, and if a shepherd will do that for his sheep, then what will Jesus do for us? The same thing. So the call of Jesus is very clear. He says, I am the door, and those that came before, don't listen to them. Because if you do, they will steal, they will kill, they will destroy. But if you listen to my voice, Jesus said, if any man enters in by me, you will be saved. You will go in and out. You will find pasture. And therein is the true meaning of Psalm 23. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He restores my soul. It's a contentment feeling that happens between a shepherd and the sheep. It's a contentment that the, and if you've ever had sheep or been around sheep, you know that at a certain point, as you have provided for them their physical needs, then they also have emotional needs. We don't think of sheep as stupid herd animals. Maybe the kind you're used to are that way. The two I have are not that way. Uh, 
maybe because they're not been in this weird breeding system to produce all kinds of wool. I don't know, but, but as far as I'm concerned, they're very smart sheep. In fact, just yesterday, I spent half the morning just trying to outsmart them with a, with a fencing system because they're going after my fruit trees that I fenced around, and now they're finding a way to go all, climb all the way up that and, and to reach over, their body over, and go after the fruit and the fruit trees. So, I mean, if you think sheep are stupid, I, I understand the sentiment that, yeah, they're herd animals. They don't seem to be thinking half the time, but they do think. And can you imagine a sheep that's gone on about, and, and you know what? They seem to know exactly what their gut needs when they need it. For instance, they kn- it, you go look at your weed patch of an acreage or something, and you think, well, that's useless, that's useless, that's useless. Then they go over there and they pick a little here and they pick a little there. And when you see them kind of laying down at a certain point, looking like they're not feeling, then they get up and they go over here and they eat something. They seem to know how to treat themselves with some of these weeds that we call them. And after they've gone about having their smorgasbord of salad out there, they then go down and they, they lay down. Or if they hear the shepherd's voice, they'll walk right up to you and they want something more. What do they want? They want attention. They want petting. They want, I mean, and it's more than just scratch where the fly is getting at me or whatever, because they've got a thick layer of wool there. And, 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 and they want more than just scratch my itch. They want you. And so as I see this, this is a contentment language where Jesus says, I'm not just, just providing you safety in a shelter and roof over your head type language. It's more than that. I'm going to actually provide for you to the point where you're saved, where you find that pasture. And every shepherd knows at that point, it's contentment. Contentment in Christ. So only Jesus is the one that really makes us lie down in green pastures. He's the only one that restores our soul. Others try to do it. Others try to profit off of it. Others try to find a way to abuse and misuse and exploit the sheep. But it's only the words of Jesus and it's only his message that really restores our souls. Maybe you found something else. But after a while, even that cistern goes dry. It's only the fountain that's found at the foot of the cross that really quenches our souls. And so John 10, Jesus goes on, the thief comes not but to kill, steal, to kill, and to destroy. After all, what's going to happen? He's going to take that sheep, and if the sheep has some kind of mark, he's going to have to put, you know, basically you need to, to find a way to make a profit off that sheep and dispose of that sheep before anybody ever finds out that you stole it. So you're going to kill the sheep off, butcher it, and use it up and destroy that sheep. Either that or you're going to get the sheep far away out of there after you steal it. And I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now you understand part of that because of that, that gate. The shepherd is literally the gate, is literally the one who comes between you and everything else you fear. So then why would we fear the shepherd? The only reason why we would fear the shepherd is if we have wandered and gone out and placed ourselves in situations where fear has been produced. And I can tell you right now, that's not natural. It may happen amongst sheep and, and sheep and herds, but, and that's something the shepherd has to deal with, but to have sheep wandering constantly over and over again out to places that you know are dangerous and all of that, it's just something that it seems to me not common sense. And so he's the good shepherd. He gives his life for the sheep. He protects them. He provides a place of solace. And quite frankly, every Sabbath then is a temple of time where, we, yes, we spend time with them every day, but we come together as a flock. We gather here And this is a place then of peace and safety.
And he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, notice the contrast, whose own the sheep are not, who could care less, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. So there he is. Maybe the shepherd has to go and deal with something else, and he comes back, and his flock is decimated. What happened? Well, the hireling who was sitting there at that same gate area, he, he sees the wolf coming. And I don't know about you. Have you ever seen a wolf in the wild? I've seen one, and they're, they're, those things are pretty big. Imagine it's some snarling wolves coming at you, and you've got your rod and your, and your sling maybe, and you're thinking, I could take out one or two of them, <laughs> and you're hoping your livestock guardian dog will take out one or two of them, and, but there's six or seven of them. Imagine this, this pack of wolves sitting upon you. Or even a lone wolf has, a, has the ability to really come out of flock and decimate it. So this guy sees the wolf coming and just leaves. I'm not risking my life for them. I'm not getting paid enough to do this. Have we ever been tempted to leave? Now, somebody rebuked me with this text this week. I won't tell you her name, but she lives at my house, and she's older than me. I've been married for about 16 years. And she said, you know, as a pastor, you really have to face that challenge, don't you? Because there are times when, when things aren't going smoothly in a situation, and it's tempting. I'll, I'll go find another call somewhere else. You know, oh, is it just me? Could it ever happen to church members too? I remember when I was a church member, a huge conflict at a church, and I'd oh, I'll just go somewhere else. You know, at a certain point, that's the, that's the attitude of the hireling. We're in this together. All of us. If I wasn't getting paid, I'd still be sitting here. Because of the relationships that we have built together in the last two years, And so as I look at this text, I want to have that same attitude of the good shepherd. I don't want to be like the hireling. I don't want to allow the, the flock to be scattered. I want to be like the good shepherd. And if you were in that audience, if you were the disciples and you were, maybe you, raised, maybe you went through some of the rabbi schools and you didn't pass and so you, know, you became a fisherman, but, but you still had an understanding of, <clears throat> of some of the scriptures, right? Because we know they know the scriptures. Where else would they have heard this at? They would have heard it <clears throat> in our FBI answer for their young people. <clears throat> they would have heard this idea of a good shepherd versus poor shepherds in Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, you can find it in your Bible if you like, it describes poor shepherds, irresponsible shepherds, and it describes the shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And by the way, if you check out Ezekiel, he does have some priestly duties that have been a part of his family. So it's not like he's just <coughs> preaching to the other preachers, you know, speak, speaking to the preachers and not having any application to himself. Because I believe, as I remember correctly, he was of some priestly line. And so we have him saying this message Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. Amazing how they could get that way, uh, get fat enough to slaughter like that. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, verse 4, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. How did we get a fear complex in churches? It's probably because of this. It happened in Jesus' day. A lot of fear. 
a lot of political maneuvering to be a part of the religious institution of his day. And if you look at the way he drove them out of the temple, you know exactly why Jesus dealt with them so harshly. Because they drove out the children and the, the ones who needed to be healed, and they basically brought in their merchandise. In verse 5, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as I live, says the Lord. And we know he lives forever. Surely because my flock became a prey, my flock became food for every beast. Imagine just that scene. Even if the sheep is fully wooled, imagine the scene of a sheep fleeing from its predators, and basically, next thing you see is a dead carcass with wool pulled out all over the place. This is what they would have imagined. They would have imagined the flock being dealt harshly, dying cruel deaths. And as I live, says the Lord, because my flock became a prey, my flock became food for every beast, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them." And verse 11, I myself will search for my sheep. Keep reading it on your own time if you'd like, but it's very clear. Jesus will call his sheep. He will gather his sheep. And that's why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the true vine. Israel saw themselves as the vine. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. You need to be connected to me. I am the good shepherd in contrast with these shepherds. And so there are two extremes, at least in the Seventh-day Adventist church. One of them, uh, it could be the idea of just fear, fear, fear diet. And the other one could be almost the same, critical, critical, critical of the church. And I'm not saying whether you're conservative or progressive, what you want to call yourself. I've even seen progressives who are so critical of the church that there's no Jesus left. So we don't want to have any camp guide that guide our church we want jesus to guide our church and that's why he comes along and in isaiah 40 if you want to read that in your free time read it the good shepherd is none other than the lord god the very one who drove them out the very one who said i'm going to call you back the very one who gave them skin from the from the sheep he's going to call them back and it was not just in his day it was going to take place the good shepherd gives his life and he still calls us today because jesus says as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, John 10, 15. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He keeps saying this over and over. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold, one shepherd. What is Jesus' prophetic word here? His prophetic word is clear. There will be one flock when it's all said and done. And the, between now and then, what is he doing? He's calling his sheep. One shepherd, a good shepherd, one flock, a glorious flock, which we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks, one fold. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I'm giving my life willingly for my sheep. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father, 
So he's basically the Father, the Son, and you'll find the Holy Spirit have all agreed this is the method to get the sheep home is to lay your life down for the sheep. That's how you know the true shepherd from the hireling. That's how you know Jesus from the ones who'd come before him, the would-be messiahs, the ones who wanted to have earthly power and earthly kingdoms and, and very much fear-driven based theologies versus Jesus. And so Jesus said, many came before me, but this is what the Father and us, we, this is what we had decided. And so the shepherd we know fights to the death. The shepherd is an ancient story that goes not just in Jesus' day, but it goes all the way down through our day. And if you want further confirmation, go to John 20, verse 29, where he talks and tells Thomas, more blessed are those who have not seen, yet who have believed. That's after the time of Jesus. And who are they? It's the ones from the cross onward. It's the ones from Pentecost onward. It's the ones who, who looked forward to seeing Jesus again, who were not fearful of that. They were hopeful. In fact, why Paul uses the word hope, or the blessed hope, he uses a word in the Greek, elpis, which means expectation. The sheep are not fearful of the shepherd. They are not wondering if he's going to accept them. They know what's going to happen. Even in the worst case scenario, if they wander off, they know that that shepherd is willing to literally pick them up and firemen carry them or whatever carry them all the way back to the fold if they're willing. That is one difference between us and sheep. We have to be willing. I can pick my sheep up all I want. I can grab them by the, by the back of the neck and by the haunch and set it up on its rear end and put it into that hypnotic, almost that weird state where it's kind of like passed out and cheer it and I can... I can, we can trim its hooves and all of that, <clears throat> and it'll bleed every once in a while. It'll, it'll, ah, and, but that's about all it can do every once in a while. It's, it's stuck there. Now, I can force that upon a sheep, but God is not forcing anything upon us. He's wooing us. He's calling us. Jesus says, you're my friends. And in the book of Acts, we know lots of people become the friends of Jesus through the call, this hopeful call of the disciples. Thousands were then called. Others, we find, during the great persecution, gave their lives for this very Jesus. And so I believe until we replace fear with love, and it's going to be a constant battle, I know that, the Holy Spirit will not fill us. Why do I say that? Because the words of Jesus are very clear. The Holy Spirit comes and testifies of Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, John 16, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. We found out last week or so that, that it's actually not just Jesus sending it, but the Father is also in agreement upon that. And of course, the Holy Spirit is willing to come. So the whole Godhead is in agreement that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. They want that. They want us filled. They want the Comforter to come to us. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. It, to me, as I remember the still small voice concept, I looked at this, he's going to reprove us? That's almost like the still small voice getting louder to us, more intense. But what is sin? What is righteousness? What is judgment? Well, he tells us, just let the Bible tell you itself, of sin because they believe not on me. What is the sin? Not believing the words of Jesus. That's why, I say, that's why we're told we could spend a thoughtful hour each day on the life of Christ. We would never exhaust it. So we need to believe the words of Jesus. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Who is our righteousness then? It's Jesus. That's why Bunyan and others said, well, as I feel down and out sometimes, I look up and I realize my righteousness is in heaven like Paul talks about. And what's Jesus say? That he's going to be up in heaven. So God the Father 
basically is not here to condemn you. He's got a token of forgiveness ever before him. He's got Jesus who became human right there before him. How does he treat humanity? Look how he treats the risen Savior Jesus Christ who is clothed in humanity even to this day. That's how he treats us. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The only fear left then is going to be, let me go on back to where I was at. The only fear that's left then is if we are with the prince of this world. That is probably the crux of the matter. An unconverted heart is probably why fear is still remaining. There could be various ways, why, reasons why that took place. I'm not here to dig into all of them. Could be an upbringing, could be all kinds of things, things you've learned, all of that, whatever. Constant feeding on this fear-crazed media. Whatever it is, if we find ourselves fearful of judgment, it's only because we are on the wrong side of it. And the Bible is clear that even today you could be on the right side of it. That's why Jesus talks about saving his sheep. He says, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus, what does he want to do? He wants to talk even more. He wants to, he wants to take that one-hour sermon that I'm preaching right now. He wants to go two or three hours. <laughs> no, he wants to tell them so many things. But he knows that they can't handle it then. In fact, we get the book of Acts chapter 1. They still believe he's going to set up a kingdom. I mean, are you still going to do it? So when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but will speak what he hears, and that's what he's going to speak. And he will show you things to come. You want to know how to understand prophecy? It's by understanding the words of Jesus, which the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. Otherwise, you just know a bunch of facts and beasts. And so the judgment is only for those who are the fearful enemies of Christ. And the judgment will actually end up crushing them in defeat. So this is how the Spirit works. The Spirit is going to come and convict us of sin and says, all right, believe the words of Jesus. This is how you can be cleansed. Your righteousness is in heaven. You don't have to fear the judge. You can be forgiven. The question is, do I want to believe that? If I want to believe that, then I basically am coming into the fold. And the Bible says in Ephesians that the deposit is made in your heart of the Holy Spirit. And so humanity cannot deal with the fear on its own. That's why Jesus comes. That's why the promise is given in Genesis chapter 3 of one who's going to crush the head of that serpent. And as we try to mask the fear with all kinds of busyness, with all kinds of pursuits, with all kinds of drugs, with all kinds of immorality in this culture, with all kinds of, just go down the list. Fear oftentimes drives a whole lot of our behavior because we're fearful that we're not going to be accepted. We're fearful that others are going to think about me. We're fearful that I'm just not going to measure up. The only solution is Jesus Christ. And that's why in 1 John 4 it says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Am I going to come up to God and say, You've got to forgive me? No, I'm not. I'm going to throw my crown down because I know I am not worthy. I'm going to sit there and, and bow before the king. I'm going to come sheepishly, if you want to use that expression. Humble that this shepherd would love me so. And in that way, I have, I have a boldness, not in the sense of a presumptuous boldness, but in a sense of, I know who has called me. And then that way you can have boldness. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So as Jesus is, so are we in this world. God sees us as Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, 
He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So if we still have fear resident in our hearts, not necessarily an unhealthy emotion at times, but what we're talking about is a steady diet that basically from a, a ter- terrible picture of God, then it's because love has not filled us. If love has not filled us, then the Holy Spirit will not fill us. Therefore, if fear dwells in the heart, there is no latter rain. It could fall all around you. But if, it's not, if the Holy Spirit has not taken residence and brought that perfect love home to your heart, to my heart, and continually I have to focus on that, then the latter rain will not affect me the way it sh- it God wanted it to. So we can talk all about the latter rain, all about the Holy Spirit, but if we don't get this part right, there is no latter rain for us. The shepherd comes, he offers that place of safety, he, he, he woos us, he calls us, he, he offers us complete peace, he calls us by name, and then he says to us, this is all you have to do. All you got to do is answer back. All you got to do is take that step. 1 John 5, 13, if you look at 1 John 5, 12, he that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. And John says, these things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God. They, they know about Jesus. But what's going on? They don't know that they have eternal life. If you look there, he says, I'm writing so that you may know. And it's a subjunctive, a sense that a strong possibility, I want you to know for sure that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And so our challenge every day is this right here, realizing that we have eternal life, realizing that it's all in Jesus and what we need to do is daily recommit ourselves to him. And this is the confidence that we have in him then, that if we ask anything according to his will, is it his will to save us? That's pretty clear when a shepherd dies for a sheep that he's wanting to do his all for a sheep. So it is his will to save us. If it's his will, then you can ask to be saved, and he will hear you. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So whatever petition it is, you say, well, you know what? I need, Lord, your assurance in this situation in my life. I need you to help heal this part of what's gone on in my past. I need you. I'm seeing all kinds of, I, need, I want your confidence that, the future is going to be all in your hand. Whatever it may be, fill in the blank and say, Lord, please show me that. He will not hold it back. He will show you. And if for some reason there's someone here within the hearing of my voice that you don't know for sure that you would have eternal life, it's pretty simple. Ask. The very act of asking is an act of faith. You may not understand everything, but just ask. And then spend time listening to him because that's when the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of us, believe and then take steps towards the Savior by continually calling out to Him. Revelation 22 says that what I'm doing right now is basically what the Bible says in Revelation 22. It says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. There's a last call in Revelation, and it appears to be through the church. The Spirit, through the church, but who's behind all that? Jesus giving this call, this last call. The shepherd last call is really in Revelation 22. And the shepherd's call comes from Jesus through us by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then we become more like him and then we boldly share without fear, even being martyrs for him if need be. And so he wants us daily to take that step in his direction. He wants us to come close to him today. And if you want an object lesson to maybe seal it off for you, this is my sheep kindness is her name. 
<clears throat> I spent three hours with her when I first got her, listening to her yell at me from the, I had a Durango at the time, I didn't have a pickup. So I got this sheep way out at Roof Lake area, and I just remembered the drive was so long. It took longer than normal, uh, even though I was trying to keep her falling over, uh, keep her laid down, take the corners really fast, and so she'll fall over and lay down more often. But I had her in this dog cage and fought her down and all of that, and, and, I'm, and I'm bringing her back. But if you're inside of a Durango, that voice just keeps going. She was so loud, and I thought, oh, Lord, I hope that she gets quieter when she's out there in the field because, ugh. And so she didn't. She just continued to be loud and obnoxious, and she would butt the other sheep really hard and take her horn and jab it up in her stomach. And it just, anyway, it wasn't kindness at all. And so I, I kind of started despising kindness. I thought about, I'm going to get rid of this sheep. I'm going to totally drive her out of the flock, get rid of her, you know. But then her name itself started wearing on me. Murray, why can't you be kind to kindness? <laughs> not like I was mean to her or anything, but why can't you be patient with kindness? You know, she's, she's this fearful sheep. She's, she's always skittish. It's part of the way she was raised, you know, because her, her flock was kind of that way. And, and, and she was right on her mother all the way to the day that they took her off and then gave her to me. And so it was just, it was a fearful day for her. And, and, and I think that whole experience traumatized her for life. But why can't you be kind to kindness? And every time I'd be out there in the field and, and Shauna, this is the one right here, my favorite would come up to me. I, and, and, and she's hard to pet because she, she'll bend like this and the horns are poking right at your eyes. And you've got to be kind of, She's a little prickly at times because of that, but she just loves being pet. And I'm thinking, why can't she be more like kindness here, you know? And, and I'm petting kindness, and, and I'm scratching behind her ears, and I'm all the way up and down her body, and she's like, oh. And she just basically lies down in contentment. You know, makes me to lie down in green pasture. She's already fed. She's happy. She just, oh. And she lays down. And I'm thinking, why can't kindness be more like that? So here I am almost a year later now. Has it improved, do you think? It has improved. It was very slow. Very slow, but as of today, as of last night, I should say, kindness is the same as Shauna in one respect. So it happened Wednesday. I wasn't feeling good this week. I had a real bad bacterial episode, but I went out there and I set my little bucket upside down and I sat on it and here comes Shauna. Oh, here comes lovey Shauna. And, and, and you know, that's, that's relaxing to pet a sheep and it puts its face in your hands and and you look at it in the, you know, and kind of in the eye in the sideways angle. And, and it's just, she's all sheared. And the, and the rain had come down and washed her wool really nice and white and, uh, and black. And, but the white is so beautiful. And I'm scratching her all like that. And I'm looking off. And there, there's kindness, standing from here to the pew away. And I'm sitting down here. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to sit right here so I can kind of imagine it myself. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, there's, there's no way that she's ever going to come over here. And she'll, she'll maybe get up to the rear end of, of, of Shauna, and that's it. And, uh, but what's been happening up to this week is through the fence, I have been able to kind of reach in, and she feels really safe, and I've been able to scratch her behind the ear, over here, on the chin, uh, on, the, on the cheekbone. And sometimes I put my hand right up behind her head where her horns are, but she'll jerk up, and my hand, of course, gets hit in the fence. So I'm really careful. And so here I am watching her, and she comes up behind, and she does her normal thing where she sticks her head on the backside of kindness and kind of looks at me. And I'm thinking, I said, come here, kindness. And I don't know if she knows her. I mean, she thinks she knows her name. By, you know, she knows something because she came. She took one step, and then she took another step. And I'm like, come on, come on, girl. And, I'm, and of course, I've got a good cheerleader over here with Shauna. She's too, oh, oh, she's just moaning and groaning over here. And, 
they do. You, you come out, and I'll have, I'll have you do it. They get this heavy breathing, and they're just, she's enjoying it. And here comes kindness, just slowly but surely gets over here, and she lets me do the normal. And I'm thinking, she's going to buck her head up, right? And then I put my head right there beside her cheek, and I'm kind of like, all right, let's see how far we can take it. I go all the way down, and I'm up and down her body. She's like, oh, like, like she'd never been pet before, right? The fearful one now all of a sudden is enjoying it, and as of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, each night I've been going out there to reinforce this, it hasn't changed. She's allowed me to just pet her all over, everywhere, but, of course, the hind corner area, her legs, you know, but up her back and just enjoying it. Now, how did kindness become like Shauna? It was through what the Bible's been talking about. The love of this shepherd to say, I really actually care for this sheep. It's not just one I'm going to harvest its wool and eventually send off to somebody to slaughter and make money off of it. It was actually kindness towards kindness, a kindness that was put in my heart for that sheep. We as humans need that. The good shepherd doesn't need that. He always extends that. He always says, I'm willing, if you'll take that step towards me, just take a step in my direction, just come a little bit closer, just let me, it, it's, it's an enjoyable thing. It's, it's a bond that we have. It's more than just scratching the itches. It's contentment. It's more than that. I will offer that to you. And he comes down to our level. He sits there as a human, becoming a human being. I don't know how much lower he could have gone. Comes down to our level. He holds out his nail-scarred hands instead of just, and he says, you have nothing fear. I am the good shepherd. I am calling you by name. And so when I think of the second coming of Jesus, I have nothing to fear. When I think of the last call of Jesus and seeing him face to face, I don't wonder if I'm going to be safe to say because I know the shepherd's voice and I know I'm following it to this day as best as I can. I'm going to follow it the best I can tomorrow. If I walk away, that's when the fear will kick in. But I'm going to keep following the shepherd all the way until he comes. And so what's the shepherd's last call? It's I love you. Come close to me. I want to be near you. I want you with me when this world ends. And so I pray that that will be our call as well in our hearts, that we will respond to that. Take that step, whatever it is, and allow him to be your peace and your comfort during these last days. Our closing song is to that effect. It's called Wondrous Love. Ask a bunch of questions. What would it be like if we imagined the Good Shepherd himself dying for us and we thought, wow, what wondrous love is this? That's what the song is about. What wondrous love. If you'd like to stand, feel free. What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul, oh, my soul. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this, that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul, to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To 
God and to the Lamb, who is the great I Am. While millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing on. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus. And we know the good shepherd really is our father as well, who sent his son to take care of his flock, who sent his son to gather each one of us from those who've scattered us. So Lord, you've gathered us here this morning. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for the words of love that we hear from you and the words of challenge and rebuke because we know that rod is there as well. And so we ask you to guide us and direct us all the way to this beautiful eternity where we will sing your glory and praises forever and ever. In your name we pray, Jesus.